Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Your podcast where you go through a portal and find out that there's a long coast named after a sword and harpers without harps and big cities and forgotten realms. Yes. The sun will come out in tomorrow. So you gotta hang on in tomorrow. Come what may. Was that was that a religious joke you just made there, John? No, no, no. Actually, Damara is a northern kingdom in Faerun, so no, Damara. Well, that's why I retitled the Skype call "Here Today, Gone Tomorrow." And as I move, and as I move my fingers around, yeah, you see what I did there. Anyways, folks. Yeah. Oh, I oh I thought it was Mara, and I thought that was one of the goddesses tonight. Yes. Tonight, I'm continuing my little mini-series within the series, adding Fringeworthy 2. We've already done Greyhawk. Uh, This week, we are doing adding Fringeworthy to the Forgotten Realms, Faerun. Again, this is another Wizards of the Coast setting, so this is a big thought experiment on my part. And I have planted all four of the major... D&D settings, Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, and Eberron. Well, at least in my big blue binder of fringe worlds, I'm sure that many of you, if you've wanted to add those worlds, you've picked your own. So your mileage may vary as far as what I do with this. This is just my thought experiment. You can work on it as you may. Now, the Forgotten Realms are based on the world Toril, T-O-R-I-L. And strangely enough, it's the third planet in the system. How handy. I believe the star's name is Amantor. So they're, I mean, they call it the sun, but the sun has been given a name. And it's like A-M-A-U-N-T-O-U-R. So third rock from the sun. It's in a solar system similar to Earth's. Yeah, from there I just started plotting out where it could be in a fringe setting. Now, what I picked, and I believe this is, yeah, Portals 2, negative 103 prime, garbage earth. I'll explain how I fit this in here. Now, let me read the blurb real quick. Long, white beach area covered in garbage. This magnificent shore is a dump of plastics and garbage. Most information here shows it to be of French and Arab origins. Rats here are of the size of small dogs, though not vicious. There are thousands of gulls. The ocean is filled with floating garbage, and as the explorers watch, more washes onto the beach. If the explorers more than, spend more than 20 minutes, there's a thundering boom out to sea, and more garbage falls from a warp in the sky into the sea. Now, you would be thinking, Trav, why did you send something so modern-sounding and link it to a post or pseudo-medieval fantasy setting? Managed to work this out. Um, 
I did research as far as where all these places were, and I placed the eight portals around Faerun. Now, yes, if you're Forgotten Realms, you know that there's Maztica and Karator and the Horde Lands and uh, Zakara. There are other settings on Toro that happened concurrently with the stuff on the Forgotten Realms. I believe that there is a site for the Spelljammer game, which actually links all the various campaigns. A lot of work was put into this calendar where everything was linked up, the various events in all the various game worlds, minus Eberron, and Zakara and Maztica and all these other settings were fit in. I chose Faerun because it's the one best known as far as, and a lot of people have asked me in this series, well, what about Ravenloft? What about, you know, um, and I'm blanking on the, Middle Eastern S setting. Al Al's or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, Raven Ravenloft technically wouldn't be fringe workable because it was sort of a prison pocket dimension. You were sent there from one of the other settings because you were being punished for something, is what I understand of Ravenloft. So it really wouldn't fit unless and I'd have to really do research and probably bring Colleen on this, Josie's mother, because she's a huge Ravenloft fan, to put it in a pocket stuff. But that will be for another time. Anyways, I chose the continent of Faerun to where to put all these portals. So let us begin. Let me just, oh, and there we go. I knew that was going to happen. I got earbuds in, in the court only reaches so far, folks. So we have the eight portals for negative 103 prime listed as garbage beach in portals two. So we have the first portal. It's green forest, and I chose... Central Chondalwood. Now, the Chondalwood is pretty much directly in the center of the Faerunian continent. Uh, a lot of wild elves, ghost-wise halflings, which are just a, a form of halfling. They usually have like three races in each of the settings. Druids, rangers, a lot of sylvan creatures. So you're going to have your dryads, your nymphs, your centaurs. A lot of plant creatures like shambling mounds and assassin vines. It's a very primeval forest. And the surrounding kingdoms have apparently done a lot in order to keep it that way. Where human settling is not being infringed upon. Now, one of the features that might be found by explorers going through this portal, apparently there are some toppled stone towers with coffers of gold hidden within, and it's filled with magical traps. Now, this is something in the setting. Now, folks, I use for this particular, for my information, the Forgotten Realms campaign setting for 3.0, um, mostly by Ed, let's see, Greenwood, Reynolds, Williams, and Heinsu. I believe I know. Yeah, Ed Greenwood, Sean K. Reynolds, Skip Williams, and Rob Heinsu. Yeah, this is from Wizards of the Coast. I'm trying to remember. This was made sometime in the early 2000s. I'm going to say right now, if you are looking for information on how to do this for the post-Spell Plague 4E version of Forgotten Realms, you're listening to the wrong podcast. I, that's not a personal favorite of mine. I don't like what they did with the setting. So I stuck with the third edition D&D version. And the Chandlewood is, as I said, it's primeval forest. 
if your eye debt goes through, they're going to know that this forest is centuries old. Any any Millennia. Millennia, yeah. Anybody who, anybody nature burst in your eye debt will recognize just, it. it I believe the term is an old growth forest. Climax forest. Okay, all right. I like that term too. Where just, oh no, this forest is easily trying to grab a ruler on a slick wood table here. That's not working. Um, yeah. Look at the logs. <laughs> oh no, oh no. This this forest is at least. Well, no, if it's a climax forest, there will be there will be logs. That's what's oh, yeah. nursing. That's what's nursing the the younger trees. Oh they, yeah, the whole, provide... the whole the whole cycle of life. Yeah. Yeah, but this place. You go ahead, Bruce. The point in a climax forest is it's reached its ultimate level of maturity. After that, it's not going to change unless there's something like a forest fire, something major happens. Uh, so it's, it's basically everything is as, as the ecology is designed for that uh, particular environment would be. So that's what, so in, and climax forests can change, can be completely different depending upon what kind of forest it is. A Joshua tree climax forest looks a lot different than, you know, a pine forest or a, um, and of course a redwood. Okay. Right. And usually there's a lot of diversity. You'll have not just one type of tree in there. There'll be multiple different kinds of trees. Or other deciduous, uh, tree, you know, tree forests like oak and maple and so, so forth. Yeah. Okay. Well, oh no, I'm measuring this. This is a 600 mile long forest. Whoa. <sighs> so about two states wide. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. And looks like, uh, at best, what, 50, 50 miles wide? Uh, let's see. On the map, okay, I'm using the map from the 3.0 book, and one inch is 120 miles. Oh, yeah, about 50, 60 miles across at certain points. So, yeah, okay. folks, you if you have nature burst people in your eye debt, oh, no, they'll recognize that this is a massive, very old forest. You're not walking on dirt. You're walking on centuries, millennia of dead trees. Yeah. <clears throat> the undergrowth will be extremely thick. It will be very well, little it, sunlight reaching into this forest. Well, those two are kind of exclu exclusive. Either you have dense undergrowth, which means you've got a lot of sunlight coming through, or it's fairly open, and there's hardly anything growing under, underneath it. Well, let me... The trees, yeah. It just, it just depends on... How it depends on um, how um, how much time has passed for the breakdown. So, for example, a hardwood, okay, it drops its branches. It takes a long time for those branches to decay and such because it's hardwood, okay. And it also depends on what kinds of animals are living in the forest and such. So, yeah, you could end up with a forest where, yeah, there's no light coming down, but it's impassable to get between the trees because of all the dead wood that's gathered around the base of all the trees. You know, just like, you know, but on the, and then there's other places where it's completely open. But I think that in most cases where it's like that, that's the, that's the long-term benefit of man. Because historically in America, the, uh, the Indian population would burn out the underside of forests so they could move around it more easily. And those were climax forests. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up with a forest for the backyard, and parts of it was hundreds of years old. And I could tell you in some places, there was nothing growing underneath the trees. They were all pine trees, which means the, oh, so it was ex, extra acidic. So they probably kept a lot of plants out, but the other places, yeah. other places, it was just covered. You're right. In, it, it actually would vary. 
depending on what's growing there. So in some places, the trees were big, but they weren't they weren't canopy. They didn't form impenetrable canopies. And suddenly we get down, they were just covered in ivies and plants and ferns and whatever. So Right. And if your trees pretty much go straight up and uh, don't produce, you know, uh, basically very wide bran uh, branches, uh, then they're going to grow very close to each other and you're going to end up with that, what we're talking about. If you have trees that have wide, spreading, thick, leaved branches, you know, uh, then you're going to have, nothing can grow near each of those trees. So you're going to end up with a lot of space. Yeah. Well, let, let's see. Some of the stuff here, a uh, large expanse of forest south of Chondath. It's a rarity that the borders continue to expand, particularly to the north. Satyrs and centers roam the land, as well as various plant creatures. Mistletoe and other parasitic plants are common, as are all sorts of mushroom and other fungi. Well, yeah, if they're a lot, you're going to have a lot of mushroom and fungus growing on all that old dead wood. Um, the druids who live within the heart of the Chanda wood are savage, angry dervishes, as willing to attack paladins as orcs in their protection of the woodlands. A sizable nation of elves also called the Chanda wood home. These wild elves never join the retreat. The massive in the maxis, yeah, massive exodus of elves to the west. And they remain hidden in the depths of the wood today, ready to repel human encroachment. The secretive ghost-wise halfling, ghost halflings live here as well, a barbaric folk of nomadic clans deep within the forest. So yeah, that that is Portal 1. That's where I put that. It's pretty much in the about the center of Faerun. Yeah, I clicked on the link for ghost-wise halflings in the wiki. Yeah. And I'm seeing a halfling on the back of a wild boar. That sounds about right, yeah. Well, that's probably the first thing you see, too, probably. <laughs> Maybe the last thing you see, those boars are dangerous. Well, yes. yeah. Well, yeah. And also those elves, if all of a sudden, you know, on a patrol and they see somebody walking out of nowhere, because if it's, a, I, I put these as all warps. It's yeah. just, it's easier. And, oh no, those elves have eyes everywhere. They're going to have every part of that forest talked, you know, looked over in some way. And okay. here it is, these people, strange and they're human, not only humans, but humans in very strange clothing. Well, here, here's a question because we never, we we don't touch on this, but we should really. What? So I said we send the wind up through. What is it? So the wind would see all this trees and forest. Hopefully, we have some way of getting, you know, like range and size. Don't get, don't get us started in this one. There was a long conversation about this on our on our Facebook group about this, and the consensus was. Yeah, it's difficult. But, you know, they would look and say, yeah, there's no place to drive the Muscovy there. So let's not go there right now. I mean, let's be honest. If, you know, players are, players tend to drive their vehicles through. Yeah. And this and is I, ain't I, no place for a vehicle. I've never been a big fan of, yeah, let's just drive our <laughs> truck through. Because even with the wind-up, it's going to have trouble going through. And, yeah, leave the truck, park it there, go through, walk through, check. And then if it's able to be drivable because let's say you drive it through and it's a world that you know like the second world where internal combustion engines don't work hi you now have a two two three ton paperweight you know yeah so i just never was a big fan of just hey let's just drive through no yeah okay uh, you never had my players then ah, <laughs> yeah. they would they would they would button up and drive on through <laughs> okay portal two it listed as low hills i put it in the Sunrise Mountains foothills outside Citadel Rashomon, west of the Endless Waste. So if you have the map of Fairruin, you're going to the upper right-hand corner. 
This portal is just due east from the Citadel Rashomon, and the road that goes through is known as the Golden Way, which heads to Karatur. So you're going to be in a very Mongolian upper steps type environment in foothills of mountains. So right there, the cold light is going to be on. Get out your winter gear. Now, Rashomon, what is the term that I use to describe this civilization? Gynomajocracy. Yes, the yes, the iron it it's a made up word. Yeah. It's yeah, the Iron King is the known ruler of Rashomon. But if you know Rashomon, it's the Hathran, the witches of Rashomon, all you know, a cabal of female wizards who really are the powers behind the throne. Actually the, the wiki lists them as a magnocratic gynarchy. That works too. Okay, that's yeah. probably a better word than what I came up with, but it means the same thing. Yeah. And there's a couple cases where they started off that way and they had a revolutionary and the men came in and took over and there's probably revolutions that follow those. Yeah. Well, with the 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 Hathran apparently have sealed their power base and it's like the Iron King is allowed to be the public face. But he knows full well, no, it's the women run the show in this world, in this particular country. Mostly human, 99% human population of the nation, just over 654,000. Um, cold, rugged land populated by hardy and fiercely independent people. Its men are berserkers, disdaining armor and fighting for with axe, spear, sword, and bow. Its women wield powerful magic tied to the land, training them with magical potential to serve the land and the Rashemi race. Although the land is ostensibly ruled by a powerful warrior called the Iron Lord, the true powers behind the throne are the witches who chose, they choose that Iron Lord. So, oh no, the Iron Lord, yeah, he may be a powerful warrior, but he's, in every sense of the word, a puppet ruler. He's the uh, face they use for the less enlightened uh, other other uh, countries out there, probably. yeah. The land is full of nature spirits, any of which you can turn jealous or vindictive against those who offend them. Mm -hmm. Rashemi laws are simple and based on honor, and they disdain the trappings of civilization. The people are devoted to the warrior ideal, competing in athletic contests and other harsh physical activities, such as swimming in near-freezing rivers. So mm. one of your IDEP members is a member of the Polar Bear Club, you're in. Yeah. These I'm challenges with... keep them strong, for weakness would doom them to death at the claws of the land's many monsters. Oh, you know who would love these people? The Golden Horde. Yep. Oh, those boys would just be like, Mama, I'm home. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at the wiki. They list them as uh, alignments, as neutral good, chaotic good, and neutral. So they're on yeah. that yeah. side of the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I like the fact this actually lists exports. Carvings, cheese, fire wine, furs, and wool. So of course, two of them, cheese and fire wine, actually are links. What kind of cheese? Oh, lots of cheese. Lots of cheese. Wow. Yeah, probably probably made from yak milk, I'm sure. Yep, yak butter, yak yeah. milk. Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. Imports, cloth, food, and wood products. Well, yeah, that's a very inhospitable environment. You ain't going to be mm -hmm. growing a lot of wood up there. Mongolia, I don't think. Upper Mongolia isn't known for its forests, so. Mm. And cloth and food, well, in that dry, arid, Gobi Desert-like environment, you ain't doing a lot of growing either. 
Uh, but their wine is made from herbs, grapes, and fruits made by the witches of Rashomon. And it's distilled. Whoa. Oh, so that means there's a relatively high level of technology to distill. Well, uh, let's be let's be blunt. Um, when they were making perfumes for the Romans, they were using stills. Distilling is actually is as older than you think it is. Well, remember, they <laughs> had plans for a working steam engine, and they would have been in space by a thousand A.D. if the empire hadn't fallen. We've already found that out. Yeah, but the the distill the they're distilling for they they they, they the essential oils, and that went back as far as the uh, Egyptians. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so yeah, this this nation this this nation of Rashomon, it would be a very good place for your golden horde guy. He'd be like, "Oh no, I got this. Trust me, I'll I'll get us through," because he would recognize those same concepts of honor and trial of physicality to prove mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, he would. He'd walk in and it would translate via the portal as "Mama, I'm home." Um, I would think it'd also be great for the for the Mongolian uh, female contingent of the of, of your team. They're going, oh, so we can probably do this back home too, couldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Remember the Khan sent yeah. people to find out new things, and if he finds out, hey, there's a world, there's a culture very similar to ours, and the women practice magic, you know, yeah. You know, unfortunately, as far as we can tell, magic doesn't work on the Golden Horde. It's it's a uh, Earth Prime baseline. Yeah, world. dead magic world. Yeah. Yeah. So that means not even magic items work. Mm -hmm. But still, the idea of the thing is, though, we're saying something that probably already already happened. I'm I was I, I, for when I was remember watching the history of the uh, Chinese emperor, and in fact, many of the emperors were run by their mothers. A matriarchal society. Yeah. Well, yeah. it doesn't look like this is a matriarchal society because the men are berserkers to say, I mean, they're just going out fighting, you know, with just give me a weapon, I'll take the cut, I don't care. It's but a women, truism. It's a truism. You only need one guy to survive to perpetuate your race. That's true, yeah. <laughs> but the women wield, and it's, it seems to be, um, where do they say? The land is full of nature spirits, so that would mean, yeah, the, the, the Hathran are wizards. But that would mean they're clerics. It's a very shamanistic religion. If everything's filled with spirits, that's usually a shamanistic mm -hmm. outtake on religion. Yeah. And looking at the... Uh, so the mountains are 15,000 feet in altitude. Oh, yeah. By the map here, these are some, some massive... This is a massive range. Yeah, and they're not too far. So and look, they're in the foothills. You know, I'm looking at the map, uh, at the little map segment they have here in the wiki, and yeah. looking at the landforms. Um, those hills, those mountains are de are, are eroding because I can see landforms that look like the outlaw, the outflows of a of an avalanche, of a collapse, major collapse. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. So they're built. Actually, they're built on what used to be part. And in fact, there's a lovely little curve right near where, where the citadel is. And there's a corresponding uh, landform right in front of it. Going, yeah, you're building, you're building an old mountain there. <laughs> mountain went down the hill. <sighs> oh no! But I'm looking at the length of this range here, and again, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, easily on this map, one one inch is 120 miles. So, oh, this is like 800 miles long. Yeah, that's comparable to the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. 
But it's very but, narrow. Very narrow. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, so it's supposed it, to be like that impenetrable wall between Western Faerun and mm-hmm. the Endless Waste as you go along the Great Way, which is their version of the Silk Road, over bit, to Karatur. A bit of a barrier peak? But um <laughs> I'll add that sound effect in later. Uh. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so number three, the Marsh Shore. Now, I put that at Repheld, which is the Great Swamp. Now, that is, on your map of Fair Room, that would be, like, all the way at the bottom in the, like, southeastern corner. And Repheld, it's a massive swamp. There's an ancient city in the middle of it filled with evil. So, yeah, um, didn't really say what could have been there. I just had it right here where this was. Yeah, okay. Rethel, the Great Swamp. The greatest swamp in Faerun pools around the eastern end of Halrua's Wall. It is a sweltering place of moss-choked cypress groves, sawgrass seas, and boggy bayous infested with giant leeches, giant toads, snakes, lizard folk, shambling mounds, and worse. An ancient city steeped in evil lies in ruins near the center of the swamp, the retreat of long, some long-forgotten race. I'm sensing the Yuan-Ti here. I mean, Lizardfolk could be there too, but the Yuan-Ti, they're the ones that I usually, when I see swamp and evil in the same sentence, that's the first race that comes to mind. And yeah, this swamp, let's see, it is... The mountain range known as the East Wall, and it's on the shore of the Great Sea. Oh yeah, this this swamp is easily about two hundred miles across. Yeah, it's about two hundred. It's almost perfectly round. It's about a two hundred mile circle diameter of nothing but just bogs and bayous. Hey, let's put an ancient city full of evil right in the middle here. Um, yeah, you're definitely not going to be wanting to take the Muscovy out in this. You may end up losing the windup. Um, because the windup's what? Probably at least three, four, five hundred pounds with all well, the, the, the thing with the thing of the windup is we determine for it to actually function. As soon as it comes through, it throws a line back through the portal. Oh, yeah. And then it basically it, it'll get it'll eventually be dragged out. Yeah. Uh, you know, so even even sunk up, sunk up to it up to the top of the uh rotating 360 camera, it'll still get pulled back. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, it's... I mean, you could, you know, Louisiana, um, what other massive swamp areas in the world could... Hey, to ask you, I've been trying to find it, and I, I'm looking at the map, at the map of Faroon, and I'm not seeing Rethal. Rethild, R-E-T-H-I-L-D. It's known uh, as the Great Swamp. Rethild. Oh, Rethild. R e t h i l d. Yes. Let me go search the wiki for that because I'm trying. Yeah, to, yeah. It's on, page, it's on page 198 of the Forgotten Realms 3.0 setting. Actually, I put it like right on the shore, so it's Great, like Great Swamp of Rethild. There we go. Yeah, Rethild. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was looking at. Okay, it's uh, on the map here. It lists Halura. Halura <laughs> is the nation on the other side of the East Wall. <sighs> Halrua, massive mm-hmm. artificers. If you can get through the mountains and the swamp, you're going to find a massive nation full of magical artificers. 
sky ships flying around. You might see a sky ship going overhead from coming from the west. Yep. So lizard folk, bullywogs, and tassoli. And what? Tassoli. T-A-S-L-O-I. Tassoloi? Tassoloi. Okay, I Tass still haven't heard Tasloy, a hum were humanoid jungle dwellers whose race was thought to be thousands of years old. Uh, while quick, very quick and nimble between trees, the Tasloy were easily dazzled by bright uh, sunlight, preferring to stay below the jungle canopy. Despite this, Tasloy did possess low light vision. Three feet okay. tall with gold cat-like eyes. Where is this from? They always they usually tell you where it came from. Hmm, that, that's... Oh, the mad Goiji? AD&D trading cards, Baldur's Gate. It may have actually appeared in uh, some later adventures, looks like. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Oh, Monster Manual uh, 2, first edition. Oh, that's why, yeah. Yeah, I don't have any of the first edition books. And uh, all my second stuff are old PDFs, so. Okay, so it basically is a first edition uh, critter you'll, you might yeah. Okay, Portal 4, Shale Beach with Garbage. I put that on the, okay, if you look at a massive map of Toro, mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, if you look at the Forgotten Realms, the planet Toro, you can sit there and say, oh, look, North America, Central America, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia. Mm -hmm. I put this on the west coast of what would be considered North America, which is called oh. Anchor Rome. All right. Now, Anchor Rome, uh, Pixie couldn't be with us tonight, wasn't feeling well. So I got her here last week to pick her brain on what she knows about Forgotten Realms. Her knowledge is relegated to playing Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights. Okay. So when I brought up Anchor Rome, I have... Is it like south of the Baja? I see, I see the Baja. I see the, 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 the Baja Peninsula, which is probably not. I, I, know, but. I, would say, I would say that that would be equivalent to Baja, California, the, mm -hmm. the uh, west coast of the Elysian well, Sea. Looking at the, at, I saw a map that did over, overlay. That's actually the, the Oregon coastline. But still, really? same difference. Yeah. Okay. But I still call it Baja because it's, it's the same shape. Yeah, that's what I would say. Okay, here we go. Anchor Rome. Let me give a quick, and I'm reading from the wiki now. This is ForgottenRealms.Wikia.com, folks. Mm -hmm. Wikia puts out wikis for every blasted thing. Okay, Anchor Rome is the far western continent of Toro. It lies roughly 3,000 miles west across the trackless sea of the Sword Coast, or about 1,000 miles west of Evermeet. It's directly north of Maztica. Now, it was first discovered by the famed explorer Balduran, who returned with great wealth. These riches were used in part to build a wall around the fledgling city of Baldur's Gate. Apparently, he came back to Anchor Rome, only to meet his death, certainly killed by Pascadari, which I believe are a type of Indian. When I told Josie about that, you ever see that look of recognition in somebody when everything just clicks together? That was Josie's face last week. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, that's where they came from. I'm like, yeah, it says here. And I oh, showed it. You must, must notice, though, citation needed on that reference. So. Yeah, well. <laughs> but yeah, so Anchor Rome, this West Coast, every so often, every 20 minutes out at sea, this warp opens and garbage of French and Arabic origin is getting washed up on the shore. And where it's actually coming from would be the fourth alt, Portal Makers. 
a mostly French and Arab earth where the 1940s science has cracked a hole into other places. This handy device is used to dump trash onto another world. Living beings cannot be transferred, but trash can. Makes an ideal system to dispose of waste, except at the receiving end. So actually, one of the alternates is using the Prime for their trash disposal. And I put it on the west coast of Anchorone. So yeah, you're just going to be seeing this. And as I said, if this portal's like, you know, maybe three, four miles out to sea. Yeah, not exactly, you know, nice place. Well, it's not even a nice place to visit, much less live there. Um, so we have Portal 5, River Valley. I put that in the Troll Mountains. Now, the Troll Mountains are in between Giant's Plain and the Greenfields in the northeastern corner of the nation of Amn, A-M-N. Now, the Troll Mountains, um, you're going to come upon, like, it, it is. It's a small mountain range. with some Trolls? Trees. Well, yeah, there's some trolls there. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> reason why. But Gnome, Mining Village. So there's a good chance you will be meeting with the gnomes of Faerun. We oh. might discuss them later. Yes, John already knows about the gnomes of Faerun. I'm sure Bruce does too. So let's just. Yeah. No, oh, really? No, same here. I'm just going. I'm just going. Too bad there ain't no gnomes in Anchor in Anchor Anchor Chrome. Anchor. <laughs> really? Oh and, no. And and having to wear red caps and you know standing gardens. That's another thing. Is you know. <laughs> Actually, it's funny, and I'll bit of a tangent here because <clears throat> we never do that. If you read Bureau 13 Black Powder near Carson City, there was a gnomish village under the Sierra Nevadas. Yeah, so that means I use that in my current Brass and Steam campaign. Yeah, so I mean, I use gnomes a lot because of the hot, because I like adding a little bit of tech to my fantasy. What better way to do it than say, oh, there's a gnomish tinker over here, or there's a gnomish village, and they have their clockwork and beginning steam work. So, yeah. Uh, let's see, page 154 here, Troll Mountains. Rich in gems and full of mysteries, these mountains are mostly unexplored due to the predations of the monsters from which they take their name. The trolls here are unusually clever and well-organized and once ruled a small kingdom of their kind. The mountains are also home to the red dragon Balagos the Flying Flame, a temple of Thalos that, was struck by, that is struck by lightning daily, and the fortified gnoming village of Quarrels High. An enormous vertical slab of rock 4,000 feet high in the western portion of the mountains is carved to resemble a dwarf. Known as the Wailing Dwarf because of the noise of wind blowing through its hollow eyes, ears, and mouth, it marks the site of a fallen dwarven city that is now inhabited by trolls and other monsters. So yeah, you're either going to come upon the gnomish village of Quarrels High or a troll patrol. Now, in D&D, trolls, the only things that harm them are fire and acid. So, yeah. This is where, like Shrek says, this is where you run away. <laughs> I'm... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I actually don't like the, I was looking at illustrations for gnomes, and I don't like the 5e illustrations because they don't give them any foreheads. Yeah, I, 5e <laughs> I'm very unfamiliar with. I went the Pathfinder route because I just converted my 3.5 to that. And I just, so I'm not familiar with 5e. A lot of my friends, because they, I'm kind of the go-to guy for gaming, like in the dementia community, 
And I'm like, I know nothing. I I'm I win all Pathfinder. Sorry. <laughs> Just yeah. Yeah, it, it, I'm not sure what they did with the with the gnomes in 5e, but uh, removing their foreheads is not a good thing. Well, I know in 4e, they turned gnomes into a monster. They made them into a player character race for the Eberron setting. But 4e, mm -hmm. there, there's a YouTube video where it's an animated, it's a cartoon video, and the gnomes, the gnome is bummed out. What, I'm a monster now? Do I get a lair? And tieflings are now a player character race, and they're like, cool. I was like, that's going to become problematic when you do the Eberron setting in 4E, which they changed it to allow them as player characters. So, yeah, but Quarrel's High, see, there's something here about mm -hmm. the gnomes of Faerun. Many of the mm -hmm. gnomes come from an island nation, oh, far to the southwest, known as Lantan. Now... <laughs> It's, oh, thousands of miles away, but of course, gnomes in this particular world are both magically and technologically adept. A gnome making a portal, not a problem. Which means there is a good chance you would see, if there's like a gnomish patrol, there would be, well, something very similar to a firearm, except it does not use regular gunpowder, because gunpowder does not work on this world. Let's not hope, let's hope that you don't find this out by having to defend against a troll. They have a type of powder called alchemical smoke powder, and it is a purely novish invention. They do not sell it, to my knowledge. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's see. Chemical and propellants. I would say it's the same, yeah. the same problem you have in Greyhawk. It's the same problem that, yeah, you can, you, you, your, your bullets will work just as fine until you run out, and then you try to make more. No, it, it pretty much says gunpowder. I've read through this, and it says no. Ah. Modern gunpowder does not work. Even Renaissance-level gunpowder does not work. So it is a matter okay. of the gods, and Gond, the, the god of technology and artifice, came down in the form of a gnome on Lantan, and because ah. the gnomes hid him, he said... Here, I got this little secret. You know, it's a reward, and it was alchemical smoke powder. Okay. Now, is he, uh, oh, for I'm trying to look up gods, unfortunately, they have them listed by their uh, proclivities. Chaotic, lawful, whatever. Is he a good? Chaotic? I, I believe Gond is neutral good. All right. Maybe chaotic good. I'd have to open How do you it. Spell G O N D. Okay, he's not, he's not neutral. Alignment, yeah, straight, nope, straight neutral. Oh, straight neutral. Well, I, I'm, not... I, I'm looking here, two, uh, 241, the, the setting. All right. The wood, the Wonderbringer, Lord of all Smiths. His portfolio right. is artifice, craft, construction, and smith work. That actually makes sense. He's of technology, and yes. technology doesn't care. You use it for good or for evil. He is it's a up to you. He, he is a driven and energetic deity who is fascinated with making the theoretical real. He often becomes so focused on his current project he doesn't realize the long-term consequences or implications of its use. He yep. pushes Ogma to allow new inventions onto the face of Toral, and he often makes shady deals, paying in promises of later gold or favors, to get the strange mm -hmm. materials he sometimes needs. He wants... Uh, the Church of God works to make sure that the secrets of smoke powder and other related materials remain proprietary, eliminating rivals with sabotage, diplomacy, and financial influence. In other words, if somebody else tries to make smoke powder, the Church of God mm -hmm. will do basically 
corporate espionage to try to get them to yep. not do it because they want Gon wants it to stay the secret of the gnomes on Lantan. And you know, mm -hmm. and, yep. Oh yeah, exactly. They're from what I've read, they're right there. They're not above doing that. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I've read other and and remember, wizards they recently stopped producing for three point oh three point five D and D, which means unless the particular sites were archived, I don't think you can find them. But there was like a, a semi regular column called. Portals of Lantan, where they touched upon the various technological and technomagic things that Lantan did. They mm -hmm. had portals everywhere. The gnomes would have a portal between Quarrels High and Lantan for purposes of resupplying. Okay. So, so they're these, going to have all. So these are these are these are. Sorry, sorry, Trev. Are these like teleport portals in or? Yeah, like spell portals. Like ah. Yeah, because remember the gnomes also did use magic. Okay, Excuse so. So these are equivalent of like like waystones or something like that. You if you you know they're linked to they're they're linked to each other. So it's like a little portal yeah. network then. Yeah, I'm sure okay. that all. I mean, it, this is extrapolation with how the gnomes are from Lantan. They're going to have a portal between Lantan and all their various settlements. They're not going to make these portals publicly known, because again, there's a lot of stuff they do keep secret. But. I mean, they were technologically advanced where I read in the wiki before the spell plague, they had the printing press, which is, you know, that was a relatively big thing during the Renaissance. So, yeah, if they already had that, and it even said something about non-tech or non-magical portals, and that's where I just went, okay, wait a minute. How do you jump from the printing press to teleportation via technology? I was just like, no, 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 no. But yeah, so the Troll Mountains has this gnomish mining town. Let's hope you run into that before you run into a troll patrol. Portal 6. The plane, okay, it's Living Desert Cactus Forest. Now, there I chose the Plains of Purple Dust. Now, this is to the east of the very Egyptian-esque civilization of Mulharand. Now, the Plains of Purple Dust... Add, I, I got the page numbers, I just got to turn to the page. They're not of the Purple Sage, though, right? No. Nor of the House of the Rising Sun, yeah. This region of faintly magical sand is inhabited primarily by purple worms with human nomads living on the plains' western border. Under the dust lies connections to the Underdark, the cities beneath are controlled by cruel lizard folk. Most believe that the battles between the deities of Unther and Mulharan indirectly cause this wasteland. Yeah, that's another fantasy trope where you've got a weird desert. It usually was due to a magical battle. Um, the Mulharan, though, interestingly enough, they actually did go to an Earth and bring back Egyptian slaves. So it is a parallel evolution of the ancient Egyptian. Even the deities, the ancient, and I'm trying to get the word right here, helioptic religion, the pharaonic religions, Ra, mm -hmm. Set, they're there. They're on Toral because yep. enough of their followers came through thousands of years ago 
So all, you're going to see pyramids. You're going to see, you know, the chariots, the the Ankh, all this stuff there. So it sounds it sounds like it, they uh, they came from a place where either we have enough belief here to actually create the gods, or they they basically they're you know, they're commuting between universes. Well, yeah, I would think commuting between <clears throat> universes. Yeah, yeah, I would think that the gods are. So it also sounds like they're coming from a universe where they're coming from an Earth. It's a it's a, it's like second like second worlds. It's a it's a it's a world where uh, you know Egyptian magic works. Well, remember the second world. That's a matter of faith. There's no there's yeah. no um, unless you're in pact with an evil force. Good and neutral clerics. It's all a matter of personal faith. There are no beings yeah. that grant them their powers. No, yeah. they these beings, the gods. Well, remember, on Faerun, the gods have walked the earth. There was the time of troubles and mm -hmm. gone falling to Faerun. So the gods have had a very active role on this world. And for Mulharan, which is the nation on the other side of the Dragon Sword Mountains, you, you would go north to the Road of the Dawn, and that would lead you away from Murgam into Mulharan. And you're going to be seeing a lot of ancient Egyptian influence once you get out of this desert, because this desert again is a couple hundred miles long. Yeah, and it looks but like it's, it's located. It looks like it's located between Faroon and Karatur. Yeah, it's on the way there. It's at least on the maps I'm looking at right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, the plains of purple dust. Yeah, it it's on that western border before you start heading toward Karatur. So this is a place where you can legitimately go. Look, worm sign. Yeah. Well, as I said, the purple worms live under the sand, but the purple sand is most like, well, if it's faintly magical, if you have a mage on your team, someone trained in the bureau or from a magic world and they do detect magic. Oh. The, that If it's that faintly magical, I'm seeing faintly magical, that means if it's still giving off well, the magic. That was an epic level wizard battle. Well, it said between... Well, remember, remember, because... It, it was deities fighting, which means, yeah, that sand is still magically irradiated to this day. Now, remember, as you said, a prime, the prime has magic, then so does the entire node, which means yeah. the second they step on the alt and go wiggle, wiggle, finger, got magic. Yes. And when they bring the sample back for, with the, with the wind-up, wiggle, wiggle, fingers, hey, that stuff is magical. What the heck is it? <laughs> Well, they would do a chemical composition and say, well, it's sand, it's, you know, but it's purple. And it's radiating magic, so something changed that sand purple. And when they walk out and see that it is hundreds of miles of purple sand, yeah, they're going to figure something magical happened here. And the first thing that usually would come to mind is there was a great battle. That or Prince was here, one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> we miss you, Prince. Purple sand. Purple. <laughs> Sand. Okay, edit the singing out, please. Um, no, no, we have you know, we have to get Bruce to sing now. No, 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 it's good. I think I think enough damage has been done by me. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm ready to take that bullet. It's what friends are for. All right, Portal Seven, high mountains. Now there is a range, and I mean these look like massive mountains. They are the Orse Run Mountains, and I put high mountains. I put this like very high up. If you see the spine of the mountain on the map, I put it like smack dab in the middle where you know you're in mountains, high winds, cliff. It's going to be a portal, a warp in a cave most likely. Or it could even be a portal 
because in the middle of these mountains, not many people travel. It could be a standing full portal station in a cavern in this mountain. Now, the Ornsworm Mountains, a mine of green marble, cobalts, orcs, goblinoids. Yeah, so I wrote like a little blurb in the page number here. Yeah, interesting Ornsworm enough. Mountains, the largest, tallest mountain range south of the spine of the world is a well-known abode for all sorts of evil creatures, including kobolds, orcs, goblinoids, and red dragons. It is a wild place, untouched by the civilized lands of Termish. Unfortunately, they don't give it out. They don't give elevation, but the sounds of this, we're, we're probably talking Himalaya size. Well, yeah, the tallest, largest, tallest mountain range south of the spine of the world, which is far north of Neverwinter, near the Reghead, yeah. Reghead Glacier. So, yeah. Oh no, this would be Himalaya levels easily. Yeah, just that's by a- how they drew it on here, it's. It looks like very massive mountains in a compact area. Yeah, and that's uh, that's north. That's in the northern portion of Faroon, correct? Uh, no, it's about smack. Termish is like smack dab in the center, uh, south of the Sea of Fallen Stars. Oh, that big sea in the middle of the of Faroon. Yes, which would equate to the Mediterranean, most likely. Okay, so it's up there, but it's up there by the ice. So it's must no, be no, up- no. Termish is in the center of the map. Oh, Termish is. Yeah, I have uh, to come. Uh, portal portal seven is northwest of Portal One. It's about right. 120 miles. It's about okay. 550 miles northwest of Chandawood Portal, where I put it. So, so All yeah, right. it's pretty much in the in Central Fair Room. All right, because unfortunately the uh, the wiki does not have decent images of any of these things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, the one picture they show it shows it near Icewind Dale and Lurkwood. The spine of the world. Yeah, the spine of the world is way up north. That's what I said. It, yeah. Yeah. Okay, no, but no, no. The south. Of, the, oh, I thought. Okay, for a second there, I thought it's south of the spine of the world. Yes, the largest, tallest. But I thought they. I thought they. I thought they. They really that should be written a little bit different. Largest range of mountains in the in the south of Turil, south of you know in the south of Turil, sort of that, or something like that, because the way it's written, it sounds like they should just be south of those mountains. No, no, I got it as it is the largest, tallest mountain range south of that one. Okay. So it's like the spine of the world is the um, highest, the orange yeah. rhyme is the second highest. I got it just fine. Yeah, I'm looking at the at the uh, at at the wiki, and they that needs to be rewritten the way the wiki's okay. got. Yeah. Anyway, so okay, so they're oh, so they're, yeah. they're southern Malish. You mentioned the glacier that sort of threw me because I saw yeah, the ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I may have misspoken on my part then, uh, but I put it in a mine of green marble. Sorry, folks, we're we're reading. Yeah, there we do this every so often. <laughs> Western border. Oh, over yonder. Oh no, it's going to be very unkempt. A lot of monsters because humans don't go into these mountains. They're just that unpassable. I mean, there is a town. On the edge, um, Zorhun, X-O-R-H-U-N. But other than that, yeah, it's pretty much unpassable. The road that goes around goes from Algon and down around the south of the mountain. They're that unpassable. There's no way they could have done a pass-through. So, yeah, you're going to come out of this cave, and you're going to be meeting up with goblins, orcs, goblinoids, which are... Or if you're goblins, really lucky, goblins, yeah, a dragon. Yeah, um, but it doesn't give the dragon, just red dragons are there. Oh, lovely. Okay. I'm reminded of uh, of a certain anime, Gate. Yeah, dragons were dragons were really pain in that one. They finally had to bring in a full air force to take 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 down kids. Wow. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you have enough C four and 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 semi magical swords, you can really do a number on a dragon, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> use, right. use the semi magical use the magical swords as as shrapnel for C four. 
Oh, damn. Phallus move, John. <laughs> no, that was from the move. That's that's not, that's, I mean, that's, that's not fuel air and explosive mean, but still. <laughs> well, you're dealing with a red, you're dealing with the equivalent of a red dragon, in, an old red dragon. We're talking the 25 dice kind red oh, yeah. dragon. <laughs> Okay, and the final portal, I, it says Old Growth Forest. Now, if you Toro Forgotten Realms fans know your forest, probably going to guess where I put Portal 8. There is the massive Elven Kingdom forest known as Cormanthor. I put that portal just outside the eastern side of Mithdranor. So you Toro fans, you know exactly where I'm talking about. Uh, Cormanthor is just this massive forest and the elves were there until they made their exodus and left all of this stuff behind. Abandoned elven kingdom, massive elven tree cities filled with treasure, corpses, and magical traps and wards. That's the good news. Bad news is there are some new tenants in town. They're elven, sort of. There seems to be a massive amount of drow encroaching on Cormanthor because it, now this forest, it, it I mean, there's even pictures in the book and you can tell from the pictures that they are like the old growth where you know the, the canopy going oh yeah the abandoned elven court of Cormanthor. now mithdranor would be the capital of this city if it were still active mithdranor is arguably that arguably the richest and most dangerous adventuring site in all fair rune it's actually dozens of sites in roughly the same location the ruined remains of the huge elven and human city that was once the greatest magical place in the world. Mithdranor was the seat of an incredible power, incredibly powerful civilization, and gold magic items and other worldwide, worthwhile debris still rest here every day, along with their magical guardians and invading creatures. Human, non-human, and monstrous adventurers who enter the ruins frequently leave their possessions, their corpses, and even their souls behind, new picking for the next vile cult, ambitious magician, or adventuring party that comes by. Creatures in centuries past, a form of elven high magic known as a mythol protected the ruins of Mithdranor. When the elves moved to Evermeet, the Mythal weakened. The laws of magic vary within Mithranar, but most of the space and time distortion effects created by the Mythal have faded out. Now, yes, there are drow that are coming up from the Underdark, and they owe their allegiance to Varon, not Lul. So I guess that would be like a splinter god, not the, you know, the Drider goddess that we all know from D&D. They are now starting to come up as scouting parties, then war bands, and then finally conquerors with trains of slaves and belongings and they pretty much now have taken over Mithdranor. And because they're familiar with elven magic, yeah, you guys are going to be coming out on the east side of Mithdranor and probably dealing with a drow guard party. Or, yeah. Well, depending on how long you dithered on the platform, they may, you may still got a few hours left on your weapons before they turn into really expensive clubs. Okay, so that's what we're doing now? <laughs> is, that, is that the thing that Playtex Effect allows gunpowder to work on non-gunpowder working worlds for 18 hours? You're st it's still, when you go on the, on the alt, the, the clock starts ticking. You got 18 hours before those weapons turn into very expensive clubs. Well, you're on the prime, so... I so I'm taking it. What the reality bubble follows you through, and well, if you if you think about it, you, you go to the alt. First thing you do is check the alts. So by the time you're done checking all the alts, the timer is going to probably be up. Well, yeah, you get to the prime. Well, yeah, because it's 50 miles to the alt platform. Yeah. Well, you're gonna spend your time. How many how many alts are open? Yeah. yeah. But you're not gonna go straight to the prime first. Like anyone anyone worth of salt hits the alt first and goes, let's check out the alts and see where they are. Yeah, and that's going to take time. You figure, you know, you send them, you send the way up through. You bring them back. You analyze. Yeah, you can easily burn eighteen hours just yeah. just checking through like three open portals. Oh yeah, Big, you know. So it's quite it's quite possible that the timer will we start ticking and yeah, time you get to get get to the prime, that's non functional. Or, or if you're no. 
But you got to take in the fact that there will be people coming through and said, well, we'll check the Alton way back and a history for the Prime. And they will have working weapons then for a while. And then they stop working. Well, and then they have to get themselves, then they either have to get weapons that work on the world from the world, or they're going to have to, as they say, I've got a flamethrower. And my flamethrower, my flamethrower has a much better range than your flaming hands. Yeah. I have a very short pike. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I mean, yes, you want to bring on your bayonets. It's a good idea, but it means you have a really short pike. Yeah, yeah, I would see. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're on the fringe pass, yeah, you have your guns, mm -hmm. but it would really do good to have other forms of combat ready, just. Well, if we're talking, how far away is this again? Where's, what, what, what number again is this? That's, I did that as Portal 8, just. Um, no, 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 uh, uh, what, note is it a uh, negative 103 prime okay by that time yeah you got you 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 have your automatic mongolian crossbow with you they had Mon the mongols and the chinese have repeating crossbows oh okay wow and we're talking remember the, the mongols are 1400 they definitely had repeating mong repeating crossbows by that time so you got repeating crossbows you have you know you you got your 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 folks from the victorians are bringing along their you wood bows just in case yeah you know okay. so yeah yeah, so there'll be, you know, if you're an experienced team, you realize, yeah, right, so no one of those stupid magic worlds. Great. Well, put, put your weapons on the Muscovy and park it here in the all. We'll park here in the all because we're not, we're, we, 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 we don't want to try dragging it across two platforms yeah. and, and one and 50 miles. We'll just leave it here and we'll walk. But yeah, so the eight <laughs> portals, let's see, eight and maybe four. Five, yeah. Now, one of the questions we often ask is, mm -hmm. what would Earth Prime and the Commonwealth, the new Commonwealth, benefit from going to this world? Well, this particular world has an organization that would suit very well as an ally, and they operate in the area of the Fifth Portal, so the Portal and Troll Mountains, and definitely in the area surrounding Cormanthor. They are known as the Harpers. Now, the Harpers, they are sort of, they have a, it's a secretive organization. They all wear a pin, which is a harp surrounded by a crescent. That's how you can tell. And I mean, they don't have it out in the open, but they'll like flip a lapel and it'll be there. Now, the Harpers, they have, yes, those who harp believe in the power of individuals, the balance of the wilderness, between the wilderness and civilization, and the good of humankind and its allied creatures. They take, they preserve the tales of the past so others may remember the lessons when dealing with the present. They usually operate in secret, alone, or in small groups, traveling through the north and the western heartlands. Many members are elves, rangers, or bards. While they lack a main base of operation, harpers are common in Burdusk and Twilight Hall, building complex associated with the Temple of Denier, and Shadowdale, often sheltered by Elminster, Elminster or other powerful allies. They, because the harpers are pretty much the do-gooders in sort of the northeastern part of Faerun, they have a lot of enemies, including... The Cult of the Dragon, the Iron Throne, the Red, Red Wizards of Thay, the Zentarum, and particular the Resurgent Church of Bane. Now, if you can find a Harper, they, I think, would be the best people to ally with in this world because they are looking for the dissemination of information, for the preservation of history, to help humanity and its allied other races, dwarves, elves, gnomes, halflings, helping for the betterment of the world. And of course, they're led by Elminster, who pretty much is the top wizard on that planet. They will secretly, aid, often secretly aid adventurers and other groups that promote good causes, whether this aid consists of a pointer to a friendly innkeeper in a hostile town, a traveling cleric appearing just when the group is hurt, or a surprise attack against a common foe. I would see these guys, yes, they, and they're usually in disguise. It could be an elf warrior in mythical full plate or a penniless human ranger in leather. 
They spread knowledge, aid common folk in small ways, thwart the schemes of villains, and manipulate the affairs of civilized races in order to preserve their idea of balance. In addition to these active harpers, many folks serve as their spies, give them shelter when in trouble, watch for enemies, or report unusual occurrences. Oh yeah, people wielding somewhat gnomish-looking firearms, wearing strange clothing. Yeah, that would come to the no to the harpers' attention. Yeah, just reading up on them is like, yeah. I know. would think that they are the best ally for Unita to deal with with on this world because you get in good with the Harpers and mm -hmm. yeah, come on. Yeah, come on. You can rest here. You know, we'll give you some food and some water, yeah. bandit, heal you up, you know. Especially if, if if you, you know, if you pull out the old crystal key and go, whimmy, 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 are you, are you fringe worthy? You know, <laughs> and you find one. Oh no, if you get a fringe worthy Harper, you know they'll jump at this because that's more exploration for them. That's more knowledge. Yeah. And then that means then they'll know more about this strange portal that is apparently is in uh, the middle of Cormanthor and they're going to be going, wait a minute, it's not elvish magic? It's not one of their uh, portals that they had all over the place? Yeah, I'm bringing up on portals in the wiki. They actually don't mention any of the gnomish portals in the wiki. Well, again, this was in the portals of Lantan. It was sort of like a semi-regular column on Wizards uh, when they were still promoting 3.0, 3 3.5. It, it does say, though, the devices riddle Toril, easily numbering in the thousands. Oh, yeah, there were ancient portals all over Faerun and, and Karator, and yeah, and they're, and they're still in operation to this day. And they're usually put into an arch, so you can always, so, yep. so you don't accidentally walk into one. Yeah, see, and that's I, the thing. If you take one of these Harpers back to the warp, they're not going to see it unless they're fringeworthy, but then you walk through and they're going to detect magic and not find any magic there. They yeah. might find the ambient magic of the various elven artifacts and uh, now, reciting spells, but not on that portal. So this so, will be something new for them. So, so this Lantan, uh, portals in Lantan, they they more have said that the portals made by the gnomes were non-magical then, right? Well, no, what, no, no. What it is, they had magic. But ah. when I read in the wiki last week, by the time this spell play came along, Lantan had the printing press and non-magical portals. And then the spell plague hit, and I think it destroyed Lantan. Mm. Lantan, Lantan, there is no Lantan in 4E. Well, because it's an island kingdom, it got wiped out. I mean, it got too, it got got too steampunky for for somebody. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh no, so... I I have severe issues with 4E, folks. That's why I kept this at 3E. As I said, if you want to do this for 4E, that's fine. That's all you. I will not be able to answer your questions on this when the listener mail comes through. But they, but they do list elf gates and the Bakara spires and the elemental vortices and time gates. Uh-oh. Oh, you know you're in for fun when time gates come into play. I've been using a lot of time travel in my campaigns, and a few of my players are having to bring asps. So does it say how far back they go? Or how uh, far forward they go? They only list four gates, thank goodness. Uh, the first one's in the spine of the world. Okay. Uh, the next one is in near the Great Glacier. What do you say? The Great Glacier? Isn't that near the Osara Mountains? Osaran Mountains? How do you want to pronounce uh, it? First gate. Oh. I'm seeing time gates here. The first gate, Amantor's belt, was a constellation appearing in the summer over the spine of the world. The gate was within a deep cave and was guarded by a vain and greedy white dragon. The second gate, since demolished by the great glacier and the portals buried beneath the ice. Uh, third gate, uh, the name of the peak is was a misspelling by the scribe and was referring to Mount Andrus. The garden referred to Cedar Sproke, a city in the Giltmere Forest. Okay, and the fourth gate is Sonoria in the Moonshea Moon Isles. Yes. So basically, yeah, we don't worry about them. 
Yeah, they're nowhere near any of the portals, so your guys are going to... And they're not going to be easily used anyway. Right. Because you know there's going to be all sorts of traps and everything around them. Ah, okay, I I like this, because the the Bakara spires are more like I would call waypoints. Uh, basically, they're, they're brown spires, each etched with intricate room designs said to be of blah, blah, blah origin. They were created thousands of years ago by the Imaskari, who mastered transdimensional magic. Yeah. Hmm. These are two-way portals allow the rapid transportation over whole of whole legions over vast distance, distances. Let's see, about 6,000 years ago? That sounds like... I wonder if this world used to be an old Commonwealth world that lost lost its connection. Maybe. Because it sounds almost like the big system. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, stuff happens. What, what's the old phrase? It might, rabbit. It might. Yeah. Aye, aye. But that's... All right. The, um, but yeah. I mean, so there's all these portals. Uh, you know, I would say for if you're a GM, don't worry about the non-magical gnome portals. They don't exist. Because otherwise... They, well, well, they're the gnomes... Or they're like, shielded. Like in Quarrel's High. No, they're not going to tell the humans. Remember, they keep their technology very secret. At the most, they're going to give you, oh, look at this little clockwork bird that flies around in a circle and whistles every morning at 6 a.m. That's yeah. what they sell to humans. And that's All true. of the really cool stuff they keep for themselves back on Lantan. Yeah, and if, they, and if, your, uh, if your, uh, your exploration team determines that, oh, we're on a magic node, okay, park, you know, park it, near, park it uh, near, that, near that transit portal over there and forget the, uh, the, the wind-ups because, you know, I'm not going to drag that thing all the way back here, you know. So you're probably right. They probably may not be using windups. Yeah. Because they're, I mean, you know, if they weigh 300 pounds and you got to wind them up every 50 feet or, or however far they, they, they roll, unless there's a, unless the whoever designed them gives them a convenient. Oh yeah. Here, here's a, uh, this is just, this drives the, this drives the, the wheels onto the treads. Actually, I find anything with treads. Drives the treads on it. So you can take it a oh, hundred feet before you got to wind up again. Ah. You know, and wind up means that you get two guys stripped down, to, you know, stripped down, turning this big old crank because it's a big old spring in that thing. Because this guy run a dozen or dozen or so different different experiments and stuff like that, and it and it's got to move a three hundred pound wind up. So you know that spring's going to have some torque on it. Normally, you use the you use the winch on your tr- on your vehicle to wind it up. <laughs> Uh, don't want it by hand. So yeah, this is this is a case where yeah, you're not going to use the wind up in the prime. You might be able to use it at the at the alt, but you're never going to use it at the prime because you because there's no way you're going to drag that thing there unless it has a neutral gear and you can all push it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The two the two cities where the Harpers rest are Burdusk, which is mm-hmm. in the yeah sort of the northeastern part of Amn. And Shadowdale, which actually is maybe 200 miles west of Mythdranor. So, yeah, the Harpers would be in that area, definitely. And they would see these strange-garbed, gnomish, firearm-wielding people walking around. Yeah, they would—the Harpers, it would be known. They would they would definitely keep an eye on an IDET. Now, of course, we have, you know, the, the various alt-worlds, the Domes of Iowa, the Village Purple, the Rainforest, the Portal Makers, the Finished Village, the Testing Area Danger, the Cool Cellars, and the Fire Swamp. Now, once you get to the system platform, now, unlike Greyhawk, where, John, how did we discuss that Greyhawk would, was done because of how the system was? You came up with your own thing for it. Oh, Greyhawk, because it's, it's basically a crystal sphere. Yeah. It's a celestial sphere. 
Well, they all are. All four. The, well, the, yeah, but basically, three. everything is everything uh -huh. is within the sphere. Yeah, uh, you know. So if you need to, you know, so the star, so you'd be going to any one of the various worlds within the sphere off of the star platforms. The system platforms are for things, yeah, they are closer to the world. We're closer to the world. Anything out near the edge of the sphere will be your your star platforms. Yeah. So I did the system platform, and I corresponded it to Earth Primes, but I just relegated it to the various planets in Toral space. So the first of the system platform, long reach, short earbud wire. Okay. The first system platform is to the one of the moon of the planet Gith, which is actually the sixth planet in the system. And there is a trading port called Mingabwe. Yes, that is the name of it, Mingabwe. So let me... So we getting into... Um, um, I forgot the name of it. Uh, something space. Spelljammer? Okay. Spelljammer. Toral space. Yeah. Realm space. Yeah. Well, I corresponded that with the with the um, the system platform. I mean, it, it just it clicked. <laughs> it worked. Let me. Okay. And here it's called Wild Space. That's between. So actually, here you have vacuum between the bodies. I have a feeling that in over in Greyhawk. Oh no, it's vacuum as well. It's oh. just when you get to the edge of the crystal sphere and you go through and you end up in the phlogiston. That's where the bot. Well. The, remember, the spell jamming helms create mm -hmm. the air and gravity on the ship. So while you're in this ship and floating through space, you're fine. Temperature and gravity are all, and atmosphere are all good. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.